how Fatface turned red-faced with a not-so-private data breach notification, and when is buying breach data ethical? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. An embarrassing moment for retailer Fatface, as we learned not only were they breached, but they didn't want you to tell anyone about it. And then there's the bit they failed to mention about the hefty ransomware payment. To find out more about the story, I spoke with our executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. Good to see you, Matt. So British clothing and accessories retailer Fatface last week warned customers and employees of a January data breach. But it failed to mention also paying a ransomware gang $2 million as part of the breach. So what do you think? Should it have been more transparent? Great question. I mean, this is the crisis communications conundrum. How much information do you disclose when there's been a crisis? Now, obviously, we're going to talk here about you know information security, cybersecurity. And my gold standard for crisis communications, to be honest, is Maersk. They were a NotPetya victim, and it shut them down, cost them a lot of money. But what Maersk, the Danish shipping giant, did so well was it was very forthright about what had happened and about all of the efforts it was making to set things right. And it was just very transparent and clear throughout the process. And I think that was immensely reassuring for all of the organizations and their customers who were impacted by that. Now we've got Fatface. They could have used their data breach notification as an opportunity to get ahead of the narrative. Instead, what happened was about a week after they started notifying customers and employees that it had lost control of their data, it had been obtained by criminal hackers. Somehow this information came out that they had given $2 million to a ransomware gang. So personally, I think they would have been better off trying to come clean about that sooner, owning the narrative saying, we regret that this happened, but in order to restore our systems and for an assurance, a promise that the stolen data wouldn't be reused or sold to other criminals, we have paid them. And how do you otherwise rate Fatface's breach notification? Well, things didn't start off on a great foot. When they began emailing customers, I began hearing from some of those customers who were a little unhappy with the tenor of the data breach notification. For example, the subject line of it read, strictly private and confidential, which if you're a company that's lost control of somebody's data is maybe a bit of a cheeky way to characterize the communication that you're sending to them. So I reached out to Fatface. I said, this is really unusual language. This is a public occurrence. This is a matter of record. You've told the information commissioner's office. This is very public. Why would you even hint that this was supposed to be kept private and confidential? And they responded and said, because we intended the contents of this email to be strictly private and confidential for the recipient. And I just don't think that's a good look when it comes to again, trying to be open and transparent about what happened, begging forgiveness and saying, maybe we screwed up, but we're going to do better in the future. So finally, what are your key takeaways for organizations that might find themselves in similar straits? My advice to them would be run your data breach notification by someone who's not too techy and see if they can understand it. I began hearing from customers saying, I've gotten this data breach notification. So I was affected because they were only contacting affected employees and customers. Having read it, I can't tell if I'm at any increased risk. Now, Fatface, to its credit, offered 12 months of prepaid 
anti-fraud and identity theft monitoring for affected customers. That implies that it thinks there is a risk that the stolen information, which is included names, addresses, email addresses, last four digits of people's credit cards and the expiration date could be used to commit identity theft. And experts said, yes, that is certainly a possibility. So is social engineering. So beyond failing to communicate what exactly this breach means and what exactly customers who have been affected should do next. The other things I wasn't crazy about with this was just the sort of passive hack attacks happen to everyone. They've happened to us too, that you so often see. I think this really starts to make hacking look normal. When, if the organization had done a really good job with its security, it could have pointed to that. Instead, it's trying to shift the blame to attackers, dropping language like they were sophisticated because everybody must be sophisticated if they've hacked any system, which obviously isn't true. One of my other pet peeves is inevitably organizations say they care. For example, to quote from the breach notification, Fatface takes the security of your information extremely seriously, says the organization that just failed to protect it. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's definitely something about the tone that you use to come across as genuine, right? Definitely. I mean, I think that, again, with crisis communications, you're trying to be transparent, say that we screwed up, it's time to move on, please forgive us, it's still safe to work with us. You're basically employing customers to forgive you. And so rather than marketing spin, I just like to see directness. And here's what happened. Here's what we're going to do about it. Try not to spin it. Try not to blame somebody else. It sounds so simple to say it out loud. And yet we see so many organizations that don't do these things. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. You may remember WeLeakInfo, a popular service that sold access to stolen usernames and passwords from hacked websites shut down by law enforcement last year. The question is, why did it become a source for security researchers? Jeremy Kirk, our managing editor of Security and Technology, investigates. Security practitioners often tread a fine and not entirely well-defined legal line when conducting data breach research. It can pose ethical questions when commercial sources for stolen data fall into a gray area. Illustrative of this is WeLeakInfo, which was a breached data search service that ran for several years until it was shut down by law enforcement in January 2020. WeLeakInfo offered inexpensive subscriptions to browse and access raw data from some 10,000 breaches, collectively representing more than 12 billion records. Most of those breaches comprised data that was already public, but some were exclusive to the site, raising questions as to how it was acquired. Law enforcement in Germany, the UK, US, and the Netherlands took the site offline and arrested two men. The UK is now pursuing people who bought data from the site. While the bulk of purchases from the site appear to be from individuals, a recent leak of payment data from WeLeakInfo's Stripe account shows an interesting group of customers, security companies. Why did WeLeakInfo become a source for security researchers, as there are plenty of other threat intelligence vendors on solid legal ground? Some users say it filled a gap in the threat intelligence market. It was low cost, had high coverage of breaches, and unfettered access to data. But such sites are clearly problematic on legal and ethical grounds. 
Trevor Giffen has studied breached data search services for several years outside of his day job as cyber threat intelligence lead with KPMG in Toronto. Giffen tells me that the use of sites such as WeLeak Info shows there's demand in the threat intelligence industry for a lower cost service. Here's Trevor Giffen. As such, I think eventually we need to have a legally assured method of providing security practitioners breached data search uh, services for them to be able to protect organizations with. Uh, because until we have a affordable and competitive breach data search service that is well vetted and legally assured, I think it will be necessary for analysts to still use gray market breach data search services in the shadows. Many of the customers are small to medium-sized security consultancies, but there are big names in the list, including IBM, Deloitte, PwC, and Kevin Mitnick, who's one of the most well-known people prosecuted in the U.S. for computer-related intrusions. Some former users of WeLeak Info say the site was fast and it collated and normalized breach data nicely. Essentially, it was the path of least resistance for data that could be obtained elsewhere, but with a lot more work. Some people also thought it was legitimate, although the site did start cracking passwords, which is a clear red flag. Others fear that use of such sites spur the market for breach data. Troy Hans, who created the Have I Been Pwned Data Breach Notification Service, questions how security companies paying for that data on a legal basis is any different than a hacker buying the data. In agreement is Alex Holden, who is CISO of the consultancy Hold Security. Holden tells me that, quote, if we start breaking these rules and buying everything we see, we are going to be creating a really powerful dark web economy. The bad guys are going to keep coming back with higher and higher prices, end quote. In the end, it seems to be a call to action to the threat intelligence industry to fill a clear void. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. And finally, central banks are developing their own digital currencies. And one acronym to get used to is CBDC, a central bank digital currency, which uses a blockchain-based token to represent the digital form of a fiat currency of a particular nation or region. One person who's been involved in some CBDC initiatives is Karen Su, Chief Marketing Officer at AppDome, the industry's first no-code mobile integration platform. Here she speaks with our Director of Banking and Payments, Nick Holland, explaining why CBDCs have caught banks' attention for the long run. From my perspective, having been in the blockchain space specifically for the last six years, I've seen the central banks very interested in digital currencies for a number of reasons. One is just the lower cost of being able to address payments cross-border. And for new groups of people that have not traditionally been banked, those that are underbanked or unbanked. And so being able to provide a very efficient, cost-effective way of payment is something that I've heard is very attractive to central banks. And in talking to the U.S. and the Fed here, creating a dollar is quite expensive in all the technology that goes into creating the dollar that cannot be counterfeited and so forth. Now, that's expensive here. Tracking that is expensive. And having a digital solution that can be used cross-border would cut down you know, on those costs. And especially as you look at the different populations that are out there, right, who may not have an easy way of getting a bank account. You know, most of us, because of COVID and because of the increase towards digitalization, right, we are using e-commerce, we're using things online, we're using our mobile phones to buy things. 
And that means, you know, those that don't have a bank account, you know, are not in the picture, not able to benefit from those advances. And if we had a digital currency, a central bank digital currency, these new benefits would be able to be enjoyed by everyone. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Thank you.